You're listening to TFM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. Hey, everyone. I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. Welcome to TFM's Books and Comic Show. I am just one of the hosts here, Matthew Rushing, and so excited to have back, as he is so many times these days, the illustrious Bruce Gibson. Howdy, howdy, howdy. I'm here. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. How are you doing, man? I am doing pretty good. Uh, Rough day at the last part of the day at work, but that's okay. Because this is going to redeem the rest of my day right now, right here. Wow. We've got a lot to live up to then. <laughs> We're going to be redeeming your day. So, But uh, I am excited uh, to be here at Literary Tracks. We're going to be continuing on with the Lost Year series. And so we're going to be talking about Flagful Stars. Uh, we've got some news to talk about before we get to that. But, of course, just want to remind you, you know, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, so make sure you're subscribed uh, wherever you get the show so you get it as soon as it drops. Uh, of course, if you're on Apple Podcast, we would love a star rating review from you. Uh, and we'll read that on, on the show if you give us one. You can find us on Twitter at TrekFM or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash TrekFM. Of course, we've got the listeners-only discussion group called the Babel Conference, where you can join listeners from all over the world and talk about our shows together. Uh, and, of course, Trek.FM, where you can find all the shows we're doing. And then if you wanted to send us an email, you can go to Trek.FM slash contact, and Bruce and I would get that email. We could even discuss that here on the show. Or, of course, we could write you back which we would. And then uh, you can also help out the network over at patreon.com slash trek.fm. We really want to say a huge thank you to our associate producers here. Uh, we've got some wonderful gentlemen who make sure that this show keeps coming to you each and every week. Greg Rosier and Casey Petit. We really appreciate their support of Literary Treks and the network. Now, if you love the network, you know, honestly, many podcasts these days, there's like tons of ads. We don't have ads. We just ask you to help us out and make sure that all of this can keep coming to you. So if you like what we do, go to patreon.com slash trekfm and be part of our team. Bruce uh, mentioned that we do have some news this week because IDW has announced a brand new comic series called Star Trek The Mirror War. Um, and I don't know, is this like two uh, like mirrors on the wall and they're going to be like yelling back and forth? <laughs> I hadn't thought about that. Uh, I know some divas that have gotten involved in Mirror Wars. <laughs> Maybe that's what this is about. Yes. Oh, man, that's hilarious. But no, uh, this is going to be the next generation and them in the Mirror Universe. And this is going to be a pretty epic series um, because it's going to be a 13-part saga 
as well as a zero issue. So this is going to be pretty awesome. Yeah, it's interesting how they're doing this. So as you mentioned, there's the zero issue, and then there's going to be issues one through eight. But see, that only comes out to nine. So it's like, wait, I thought it was like 13. Well, that's because then they're going to, in between all these, do these special one-offs that focus on a character. So the first one they're going to focus on is on data. So that's how it all adds up. So it's going to be a little confusing because there's going to be zero through eight and then these one-off special issues. So yeah, keep an eye out for the four specials and then the rest of them and you should mm-hmm. have it. Well, and, and you know, which... I think everybody realizes all I care about is the Crusher special issue. Uh, so that's the one I'm going to be looking forward to. But, you know, honestly, to me, in the comics, I think this is a fantastic idea being able to do these type of things where you're getting to play with all the characters. You're getting to do it in a really, really fun way. And on top of that... um, You know, you're not having to worry about canon and it's something new Uh, like this is completely new. And so uh, because we don't see a lot of the uh, in fact, we don't really see any of the next generation in the mirror universe except for in the novels. Right. And so this is going to give us a way to be able to really play with these characters. And we've got, you know, the fantastic and Scott and Dave Tipson going to be doing the writing here. Um, we've got some great cover art by J.K. Woodward, which I love his cover art. You know, like it's stuff that you could put up on your wall. It's so good. So this series, I'm actually very, very excited about. I'm See, I'm not as excited at first when I heard about it because, I mean, I never really get that excited about Mirror Universe stuff. I think it's fun. But we've had three successful Mirror Universes with the next generation, with Mirror Broken, Through the Mirror, and Mm -hmm. Terra Incognita. And because how successful those are, and this will play off of that, and to your point, it doesn't have to worry about what's going on now in the other series like Star Trek Picard, have to keep the continuity in there. This gives it more freedom. So when I think of it that way, I do get more excited about it. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I can understand, though. And part of that, too, is like I do understand that people can get kind of tired in some ways of the mirror universe. Like it's not everybody's favorite thing. But, you know, to me, with everything that we've got going on in uh, canon Star Trek in the sense that, you know, we've got what's happening on screen now, this is a great way, like you said, to really free yourself to do whatever you want, have as much fun as you want um, and not have to worry about any of that stuff, which I think is is really smart and in, in you know in all honesty and I'll be honest I think a lot of um tie-in fiction is suffering from the fact especially Star Trek and Star Wars that you have ongoing canon again and it's hurt the literature from being as successful as it used to be because they're not the sole arbiters anymore of where these characters are going and they're usually hamstrung by that this, again, just gives you all that freedom. And, and to me, I think that's the thing that I'm really excited about. I'm excited, too, that it's 13 different issues because now you can mm-hmm. really play out the story and let it breathe. Because sometimes you get stories that are one issue or maybe a four-issue arc. And, and sometimes there's so much story that has to move a little too quick. This allows them to just give it a little more breathing room and really focus on the story. So we're going to get a lot of story here. 
Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And, uh, you know, again, to me, one of the most exciting parts of this is getting J.K. Woodward providing cover art for every single issue. And I love his work. And honestly, I do kind of wish he was doing the art for the series itself just inside the books because it's so beautiful. Like, it just really is. I mean, this this number one issue, uh, the artwork here, I mean, Picard looks fantastic. Riker looks ripped more than anything I've ever seen. Troy is looking fantastic. I mean, this just looks like a ton of fun. And yeah, so I'm really excited to dive into this one. Yeah. J.K. Woodward, by the way, I mean, it takes him a long time to do his art. So we would, if sense. he was doing all the pages, we would probably be waiting oh, another that's year. That's true. We probably wouldn't have uh, any of this series. Uh, we'd probably have like one comic, you know, every six months. So yeah, you're right. But um, we can still enjoy it uh, at, with the covers. So, yeah, I'm really excited. Well, Bruce, uh, that is all the news that we've got this week. So what do you say we dive into a flag full of stars? I'm ready for it. So, Bruce, we talked in the first book, The Lost Years, uh, and we talked a lot about Kirk's life. And I thought there's a, there's a couple of things that go along with Kirk's life in this book and where they've changed. Because now Kirk has moved from being this, you know, diplomatic troubleshooter to Starfleet's chief of operations. And so, big, huge change. And, you know, honestly, one of the reasons that he moved and, and, and basically said yes to, to d- moving away from being a captain in the first place was that he was going to get this do this job where he could really make a difference, or at least he thought he could make a difference. So how do you feel the book does with this next change in his life, moving him closer to where we see Kirk, obviously, in the uh, motion picture? Well, yeah, it is doing more of a bridge from what we saw in the first book of the last years to the motion picture, because we're really seeing Kirk planet side he's earthbound he's not in space he's not involved he's seeing the enterprise getting its refit and soon will be flying off on its adventures and he is there behind a desk which he didn't want to be in the only thing though that i don't like about this is because in the first lost novel we were told that he was now going into this job where he can go on these diplomatic missions and get out into space. And then we fast forward about eight months or more, about a year later, and we find out that it doesn't sound like he's really been doing that, which they really could have written some adventures in between this and that and give us a little more Kirk action at this time as an admiral doing these diplomatic missions before then putting him earthbound. Yeah, it was really interesting because there isn't a ton of backstory really as to why he's kind of pulled off those lines and then made the Starfleet chief of operations, other than the fact that we kind of get the feeling that Nagura has been kind of maneuvering him into this position all along. Like this has been the <laughs> master plan. And I think one of the things that um, I... Where I like don't mind, obviously, putting him in this position, I do feel like there may be... The book could have just been a little bit longer to give us a little more depth as to why this is happening because we also have this really affecting him and Sienna's relationship, right? 
Like this is really put a damper in. I mean, they're married now. We don't even see them get married. Like this huge, all these changes have happened that we kind of have no context for because, well, the lost years didn't really set it up for us well. And then this book doesn't actually really fill in those gaps. And so I would say that is kind of one of the detriments to this book is that a lot of things have happened in the past of this book that we're really not poised to understand why they've happened. Absolutely. I mean, this is one of the things that really troubled me about this book is, to your point, the last book, we saw that they were establishing a relationship with each other. And then we find out in this book, Santa is leaving him. But not only is she leaving him, she's leaving her husband. They're married. And it's like, what? They're married? When did that happen? Why did it happen? It just seems so odd that Kirk would quickly marry someone like that. Because I didn't get the sense in the first book that they were really in love. They just had a fling. They were interested in each other. And, you know, Kirk still has in his mind that he's going to go get the Enterprise or some starship at some point. He knows that he's been promised that this is going to happen. So why would he get married? I can't imagine he was like that in love and quickly got married like instantly after meeting Sienna. And then it just didn't seem right. Like it feels like there's a book missing. Absolutely. No, I think you're a hundred percent right. I I really do. Um, And it is one of the things I think that did kind of bother me about the novel. Now I, I did find it kind of interesting though, that Kirk himself doesn't even see how this is impacting him because when she leaves, she tells him, look, I screwed you over and I'm sorry. I should never have tried to take you uh, off the bridge of the Enterprise. I should never have uh, helped override, you know, Bones's um, evaluation of you with Nagora. I should never have sided with him. You should be on the bridge. Whereas Kirk, being the chief of operations... He does seem to have found um, some joy in this job, which is refitting the Enterprise and working to then refit the rest of the fleet for an aging fleet uh, and being very excited about this. And that's a, one of the huge parts of this book is, is, is that work on that they're doing on the Enterprise and, and Kirk really being somebody who came up with the plan. It was unconventional, which I love because it fits Kirk, but at the same time, uh, it benefited Starfleet in a major way because it cut down the the repair or the refit costs, which is kind of weird because I didn't think they had money, um, <laughs> but it they had the refit costs plus the refit time that they would need to get the Enterprise ready by doing it in this very unconventional way, which was they refit the saucer on Earth. And so, to me, that stuff was actually really fascinating to see because, again, it's almost like Nagura didn't plan for Kirk to kind of be happy in his new job, but Kirk does seem pretty happy in his new job. He kind of does, and the fact that he's involved with the refit of the Enterprise, of course, is the thing that really helps him through it. But... I also kind of struggled with, well, when we see the motion picture, he doesn't know the ship a tenth as well as whatever it is, and he doesn't know his way around. I'm like, well, if he's overseeing the refit, 
then why would he be so lost and not understand right. what has been done with the ship? That was a little odd. And yep. you know, I hadn't, I didn't research this, but now this book came out in 1991 and I read this when it came out. If you heard the episode where I was on talking about the lost years, I said that was the book that propelled me to start reading Star Trek novels. So at this point, when uh, the a flag full of stars came out in 91, I immediately picked it up at the time and bought it. But I remember at the time, this is the part I didn't research. I didn't think about it. But I remember at the time, a year or so before this book came out, I saw a list of the upcoming Lost Years books, and I remember noticing it changed. Like, I think this was the third one. There was a book that was listed that never came out. And I just wonder mm-hmm. if this was the third one, and the second one got scrapped for some reason, and then was it's interesting reworked into something else, or they mm-hmm. hired different authors to do the other two. Because I remember there were a total of four mm-hmm. lost years, and this was one of them, but I don't remember it being the second one. That's really, really fascinating. Uh, man, that's goodness. Well, it would be interesting. So it'd be cool to have you do a little research into that and then maybe put it in the Babel conference um, to see what you find. But I, that's, that, I, that makes sense why some of this doesn't connect. And, and so I think one of the things you just said and I hadn't really thought of was like, why doesn't Kirk know more about the Enterprise? And then I was thinking to myself, well, he would know a lot about the saucer section because he's probably visited that a lot. Would he know as much about the engineering section because he hasn't been to space as much to to be with that part of the refit and after this his goal is to refit a bunch more ships and so therefore maybe he gets so preoccupied with that that he is not able to keep up with the refit of the enterprise the way he would want so i that's the way i might retcon that in my head but i do actually think you have a really good point against the novel itself so um yeah i don't know it was just it was really interesting you know kirk is is obviously the big main character here we spend the most time with him um as our you know tie-in to the rest of the series the only other one we spend is with riley and i didn't even put him in the outline but i do think it's interesting that riley and him kind of end up in similar positions because riley the woman that left was his wife And in this book, she basically tells him, you know what? I was out in space for a year and peace out. You know what? I'm getting, we're, we're getting divorced. And Riley finds himself uh, alone again. And of course he and Kirk also have this connection with Tarsus four. Four. Yeah. And so, um, it was interesting to see kind of, you know, cause Kirk even talks about in his brain in his mind, you know, uh, about, he him seeing a little bit of himself in Riley and and so you have this interesting juxtaposition between these two characters who one has obviously been way more successful than the other and part of that is that Riley in this book has to start doing the thing that well what kid didn't want to wear the WWKD bracelet what would Kurt do uh and it's not until he starts thinking like that that his life kind of starts to turn around a little bit in this book. See, this is why I like talking about these books because then things start entering my mind when somebody says something that I haven't thought about before. That's interesting to me now because Riley decides if I do it the way Kirk would do it, it might work, which it does. But Kirk's not 
<laughs> exactly. <laughs> but Kirk isn't doing what Kirk normally would do. I mean, I guess he does oh, in this that's book. That's a good point. But he's pulled out of his element, right? So he's not going to always do what he does. And he's not really thinking of himself. He's just going along with Nagora and Sierra and Siana and, you know, however they're doing things. I don't know why he's not, you know, why is it that Kirk can't see that what he's doing for himself is not good? He knows what he wants. McCoy's pointing out what he wants. Siana is now telling him, but he still doesn't seem to really go you know he's the gun-ho guy to go get it and he's going to get what he wants he's going to do what he wants but he's not doing it here but riley now is riley's realizing if i want to make something happen if i need to fix the situation i need to do what kirk does and pull up my pants and go out there and do it yeah that's a really good point and as you make it i'm thinking well it's cool to be able to see this kind of story for riley and at the same time I think what it is helping to do is to bridge the um, the gap there for Kirk as to why he would become so consumed then with staying on the bridge of the Enterprise once he gets back there. Um, you know, and the fact that once he gets the Enterprise back there, you know, a new Enterprise, honestly, and and four the end of four that he would never want to give that up again. And that's why he tells Picard, don't let them ever take you off that bridge because where, when you're there, you can make a difference. And I, 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 as kind of messy as it is, I'm enjoying the story with Kirk's life and even Riley's life here in a way of kind of helping show Kirk as to why that's the case. You know, it's not as clean as I would like it, but it is actually helping build this psychological profile of a character who kind of stopped being himself for a while. And in doing that, he lost who he was and the best part of himself and how he got that back. So maybe this whole story is about how Kirk got his groove back. I, I think it is part of that. That's why I said earlier that I think it's a pretty decent bridge to go, you know, towards the motion picture. I mean, it's not there yet, but it definitely shows those signs of him realizing that he needs to be back on the bridge, that he really is missing the Enterprise. Because if one thing stood out to me is when Sienna calls him and says, I need a break, you know. She, I, I, she kind of said we were on a break. <laughs> we're on a break, <laughs> and he didn't seem all that upset about it. And she even pointed out, you know, that the Enterprise really means more to him probably than anything, and she really mm-hmm. doesn't fit into his world. And those words weren't said exactly in that manner, but it's almost implied that I think Kirk may, maybe that's why he married her. Because he lost his one love, so he quickly was trying to latch on to the second one. I think you nailed something there, my friend. (laughs) I think you did. And then he realizes that really isn't his true love. So he's Mm got to get his first love back. So real quick, though. And it's going to take a long time, too, because, you know, it's not till the, what, the end of four that he gets the uh, ship back. That's true. But he does at least get on the bridge in the motion picture and it's true. does it's true. have opportunities to be on the bridge. 
Um, but I did do some quick research while we were talking. I did look at uh, memory beta, and it doesn't mention about a novel that I thought I remember seeing be on the list and then it was removed and replaced with another back then. But Trader Wins, it says that the events of Trader Wins takes place before the events in this Interesting. book. Even though this That's book came weird. out second. Yeah, I think it was a they flip flop things around maybe because Trader Wins was delayed or something. So hmm. we may get that story. That happens before this with Kirk. I read that yeah. book years ago. I don't remember the details. I, I know Sulu's a big part of it, but and mm-hmm. I think Chekhov. But yeah, I don't remember all the details. But yeah, Riley, though, to that point, too, like I was a little annoyed because Kirk's wife is leaving him and then Riley's wife is leaving him. <laughs> I was like, what is going on? All the women in these guys' lives are leaving them, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I definitely think it's one of those places where they're they're trying to parallel characters and maybe a little bit too closely, but I I do think it kind of worked out interestingly here for the most part. And then of course you know Riley's got the opportunity, uh, this new woman that's kind of come into his life, where it'd be interesting to see then if that continues as a storyline at all uh, for him. So, um. So the big part of the story is this whole other side about this Klingon, Gadath, who is a teacher at a New York high school, a New York City high school. And really, this whole story is about overcoming prejudice and the prejudice that still exists in the Federation, specifically here, um, against the Klingons. And I thought that this part even though kind of a strange thing and not always my favorite part of the story was actually really interesting to see somebody tackle because we know even Kirk himself in Star Trek six prejudice against the Klingons, especially after what happened, you know, Gorkhan even says to me, you don't trust me and I don't blame you. Uh, There is this mistrust between them. And so I thought, I, I know it might be strange to see, but I thought it was a really fascinating part of the story to explore human prejudice and how it's not necessarily against one another anymore, but it is against certain people out there, right? Uh, and how that still impacts um, the 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 psyche of the Federation, yeah, the perfect federation, the federation that accepts all diversity, no prejudice, no racism. Yet there are people in the federation on Earth that have a problem with a Klingon being there. <laughs> but of course, right. yeah, you and know, absolutely racist against the Klingon, right? Exactly. Yeah. But, you know, that's unfortunately human nature. And, you know, for the most part, I think the federation and Earth at this time are better at this. But there's still some issues, and the issues are against the Klingons, and you can come to understand it because they have been at war with each other. So that makes sense. But what I enjoyed about Gadath is that we do represent him as not your typical stereotypical Klingon, right? He's a teacher. He's a secondary school, a high school teacher to these kids on Earth. You didn't expect to see something like this at this time. Maybe a century later, 
when there's peace and harmony between the two groups, but not at this time. But I liked it because he even pointed out that, you know, not all Klingons are warriors. You know, it takes scientists and engineers and all these other, you know, jobs to support society. And it was kind of nice to see a Klingon that is different from others to the point that other Klingons don't trust him because Mm -hmm. he's not like them. Yeah, I I really like that, too. I think this was one of those places where they did a great job of diving into the Klingons as a culture and here already kind of giving us different Klingons. And obviously, when this book is written, you have the next generation kind of giving you Worf showing where things are going to go. And I thought that this was kind of a nice little like in as to how people in the Federation might start to be less prejudiced against the Klingons and overcome that prejudice because they've gotten to know other Klingons. They've gotten to know actual Klingons. And I think that was the kind of the beautiful thing here in this book is that these kids that are in his class, they're some of the most prejudiced against him that there are, you know, calling him these names like Turtlehead and all this kind of stuff that they do uh, to make fun of them. And I really, really appreciated the, the way that they were kind of working through this. And, you know, you've got some of the kids who are really against this, you know, calling out the other kids that are really prejudiced and saying these type of things and how, you know, it's you're not you're not really hurting them. You're just hurting yourself by having this kind of venomous attitude towards other people, especially people you don't even really know. And Gadath wins them over by showing himself to be loyal and true to his students, as well as the people of the Federation. Um, and this this whole thing was about, you know, you can't judge people you don't know. You cannot, you can't, you know, we've talked about this many a times, you can't just paint with a broad brush and expect everybody to fall under those bristles, right? Everybody's different, and we have to give everybody a shot in and of themselves. And so this book helps open that up for the world of, you know, Starfleet and the world of the Federation at this point, which... It's just really strong. It's really well done. This is what Star Trek is kind of meant to do. And again, it's such a strange story to have a Klingon teacher of high school and these kids, but it really does portray some of the best messages of Star Trek. It does. It The kids don't really, some of the kids don't look at him as their teacher. They look at him as a Klingon. <laughs> And to that point that they do and say the things that they do. Right. But in the end, they realize he is a teacher and he's a good teacher and he cares about them. He took a knife for one of them. You know, he stood up for them. He was there to protect them. And it really shouldn't take that kind of action to prove that. They should accept him for who he is and not what he is. And that's what we see in here. And we see especially one of the kids being really very much a bully to the point that he even Mm -hmm. fights against his own closest friends uh, over this because he's embarrassed that, you know, he basically got called out on his jokes, his racist jokes, and his friends don't necessarily support him in that. Mm -hmm. And he feels like he's being ganged up, not just on his, by his friends, but the teacher, because he's on a, 
a probation of sorts, you know, given assignments, but so is his friend. And I really didn't enjoy that part of the story so much about the kids being friends with each other uh, or fighting against each other. I didn't really see what that was supposed to prove, except for Mm -hmm. just emphasizing more and more that there's some kids that are just bullies and jerks about this. Yeah. No, uh, it was a weaker part of the story. I think you're absolutely right with the kids. <laughs> um, and th- that part, yeah, again, it, it it just felt like there wasn't enough time with the storyline for like Kirk and even Riley, I feel like. And there was so much time in this story. And this is a really important, important part of the story. And yet it just didn't work as well as I wanted it to. But I did really like the idea of like that while we're also overcoming the prejudice, we're also trying to overcome fear because fear is what's driving the Klingons and the Federation now in this Klingon Cold War. And they are kind of behind this iron curtain of the Organian Peace Treaty, but they don't necessarily trust the Organians because they have no idea where they really got involved in the first place. And they don't trust each other. And so when Gadath, who is not just a teacher, but a physicist, uh, has created this incredible new technology, which I don't know if it's meant to be like transwarp or slipstream or something like that, but he's created this incredible new technology that would allow you to travel incredible speeds, but could also be turned into an incredible weapon. You know, we have a mirror here of the whole idea of like Genesis and it's this who can we trust with this type of information? How can we overcome the fear of one another and how do we keep the, as they, you know, say the balance of terror, you know, um, you know, the, the, the balance of, of fear that has been created. And and to me, that was also really interesting because that's a big part of Star Trek history and what's happening between the Klingons and um, the Federation at this point. Yeah, I found the device a little strange because it's it's round. It's like a ball. It sounds like it's about the size of a basketball because he even hides it in his closet. <laughs> and uh, for it to be able to do what it can do and make circles around the moon and come back. And like you said, is it transwarp, mm-hmm. some slipstream or whatever? And when you think, and of course, transwarp, slipstream, all these things were really that came after this book and even spore drives, you know, all that stuff didn't come into Star Trek till later, but it usually takes bigger devices and the whole ship, right. you know, and engine rooms or whatever to make this stuff. And he's got something like a basketball, which you can just hook up to a ship and then it does this. So a little hard to believe, but the point of it is, is he was using science to create something wonderful, mm-hmm. but realizes that it can lead to destruction. Yes. And so he has to take something he has invented and then he has to turn around and realize that he really needs to destroy it because it could be devastating to the galaxy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's sad that that's what would lead, I mean, fear would lead him to this place where, I mean, and it's controlling everything and it's fear of who would get this. And, and what is fascinating is that who he ends up trusting is the Organians in the end. He contacts them and asks them to take all of the data and everything that he had, make sure that that neither the Federation or the Klingons can get their hands on this in the end so that 
neither of them can create this so that basically we keep the balance the way it is. And that was really fascinating to me because in the end, he overcomes his own fear of the Organians and what they may mean for his own people, the Klingons and the Federation, and finally trusts somebody. And uh, I that's a that's a really interesting thing, and and that's almost something I wish there was more in the book as well about that decision making process for himself, because I think that would have even just added to the thematic element. Yeah, I agree. It's I'm just trying to think through how you know I I don't know. I mean, I like this book, but you know, I, I'm I am struggling with this book, and I struggled with it the first time I read it too. Um, again, this device, I, I, I think what you're saying, it's interesting. Okay. I know what I'm trying to say now. There's something that you've been saying is, you know, we could devote more of the book to this, or we could have added more to the book by adding more of this or something, you know, and, and I walked away from the book thinking the book could be cut in half. Like sometimes it felt like there was like filler or whatever, but I guess what I'm trying to get to now is there's things that should have been focused on more that weren't. And there were things that were focused on that really didn't need to be focused on. And so it would have been interesting to really play up more about this device and not just these other two Klingons that are spying on him and trying to get the device. But even if word got back to the empire and how the empire reacts to this and if, you know, and then Starfleet finding out with this, and maybe there's some Starfleet officers or, or section of Starfleet that's trying to get this technology because they want to use it and they don't like the fact that it's in the hands of a Klingon, even who he's the one who invented it. Like, you know, you could have really played a lot more into the dynamics of between the Empire and the Federation over this one device, but it feels like it's just so small. It's between these two Klingons and this classroom and Kirk and a couple of reporters. Yeah, I think you're you nailed it. Um, I I think this the, the bones of the book are really good. I think what it needed to, is to be restructured, uh, and it needed to like you said to have an editor be like, you need to focus more on this part of the story than this part of the story. Because another part of the story that I think suffers in that is this whole uh, the space shuttle and the fact that we're we're celebrating the Apollo eleven landing. Um, with the Enterprise space shuttle being retrofitted to have all the technology now uh, that, you know, you have in Star Trek, and so it can fly for the very first time, which, one, can I just say I hated this idea, because why you, you would nobody would ever ruin the space shuttle if, you've, if it's been able to be kept that long. You would keep it as a token and a testament to that time period, you would never retrofit it like this. Um, and two, I felt like I know that this is part of the storyline for Kirk and that he's also been kind of put in as the media front for Starfleet for the the news. But this was not the right way to do this. And this storyline just seemed super silly to me, um, like extremely silly. Uh, and so it, it, it just didn't work for me at all. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, yeah, same here. It does seem kind of strange to take a ship that's 300 years old and soup it up to celebrate the 300 year anniversary of, you know, the Apollo landing. Um, 
especially a, a ship that never flied to begin with. The cool thing about it is and the cast. And had nothing to do with the Apollo landing. And Yeah, and had nothing to do with it, exactly. Except the fact that the cast of the original series was actually there at the ceremony where they used this starship. I mean, not starship, space shuttle. But what's, you know, it's, but the other thing about it is like, okay, I kind of get it. I, I can live with it. Like for this ceremony, we want this relic space shuttle to fly around. Okay. But they really souped it up with all this technology that even right. had a tractor beam. Yeah. You know, that's what it's like, not, it has a tractor beam. Yeah. I mean, the Enterprise not- <laughs> B didn't even have a tractor beam till Tuesday. <laughs> right. And it's like, okay, it's one thing to make it fly, but then you gave it all this stuff. And then when uh, the Klingons start leaving in their little shut or whatever, with when they kidnap Gadath and the school children or whatever, they're going to, well, the, the space shuttle is the only thing around. It's the only s- s- ship that we can use to get to this. And I was like, of all the technology and ships that are probably around Earth this time, it really takes a 300-year-old space shuttle with a tractor beam to go after mm-hmm. this shuttle. It yeah. just, yeah. it was a bit much. But here's the funny, this is the fun part to me that I thought was really interesting, is that this museum, or not museum, but this hangar or whatever, and I think they even mentioned maybe the Smithsonian, I can't remember, but that this is uh, in the special hangar at Dulles Field where Dulles International Airport used to be. It's not an airport anymore. And I thought that was interesting because in 2003, the Smithsonian Air and Space Museum opened a second location at Dulles. And I thought, did the author know that this was in the plans? And if not, it's a coincidence that they both have this idea of a museum of ships at Dulles. Yeah, that's really interesting. I I would never have put that together because, you know, I haven't lived on the East Coast before. So... That's funny. Yeah. Yeah. I I was always a big fan of the Air and Space Museum because I grew up in Maryland and uh, I've never been to that other new location, but I've been to the original museum a few years ago. And I remember hearing about it. I was like, if I could get out there sometime, I want to. And so when I was reading this book, I was like, wait a second. I had to look it up. When did that open up? I'm like, the book and that are 12 years apart. So anyway, that part I liked. <laughs> one one thing that was interesting whole, about this whole space shuttle thing, though, and I thought was really interesting, you know, because they do have this question about, you know, why would we be discussing uh, and uh, this and celebrating this accomplishment, right? Um, when it comes from, you know, Earth's previous more nationalistic history with different countries, and. I, you know, I thought it was Kirk gave a really good answer, which is we might not always agree with the motives of people for the accomplishments that happened, but we still celebrate those accomplishments because they happened. And I thought that this was a great answer, even for today. Like we we're not always going to agree because of the the way in which our thought process changes over the years. But a lot of great things have happened in our history. And I might not always agree with their motivations for it, but it was an incredible accomplishment that had happened. And so I thought that that was a really positive, uh, and it almost, it seemed like the author had <laughs> was speaking to today, you know, um, because it, it it's definitely something that a lot of people... Um, have an issue with 
Um, but I, I thought that Kirk actually gave a really great answer in this book. Yeah, I, I kept thinking of things like Columbus Day. You know, there's controversy of should we even celebrate Columbus Day? But the Columbus Day represents something more besides who Christopher Columbus was. But uh, it's more about the discovery of the United States, in a sense. So, uh, yeah, it's I, I, I don't know. It's controversial, and I, I'm kind of the opinion of both ways. I'm not sure about some things, but you know, um, I did feel that too. I that really stood out to me. It's interesting that it stood out to you too. It wasn't the big theme of the book, but no, I, I like no. that it was mentioned. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, and I think it just struck a chord because I think it's such an even-handed way and it's a logical way of, of looking at it, you know, um, and it's it's very true, right? You know, look, there's going to be plenty of things in our history that um, we're not necessarily always proud of the motivations of, of certain people, um, but there are definitely incredible accomplishments that have happened throughout history to which, you know, if they hadn't happened, you know— um, we wouldn't be where we are today, you know, and, and so for better or ill. Right. And so, and, and most of the time it's a both and right. You know, mm-hmm. because yeah. everything we do has good and uh, bad consequences. So, and to remember that is really important, I think. So, um, so I guess lastly, I wanted to ask you, it was really interesting to see the fact this, uh, this news organization, um, this, this was really interesting to me, the, the idea that we have this kind of like world net news or whatever it is in the book. And, you know, they kind of give all the news and, and they seem to be like the only news source, which was, I thought, really idealistic. Um, if, if you thought Star Trek was idealistic before, the fact that there would only be one news source was really interesting. Uh, so how did you, how did that, this part of the book work for you? Uh, because it was also interesting to see them painted not in a bad light, but in a good light. Because the the reporter is a good person, the people who work for her, uh, that uh, Jenny who works for her, that was um, monitoring the classroom, that has a relationship with Riley too, uh, turns out to be, uh, seems a very genuine, real, good person. So it was fascinating to come into the story where we are now in history and see kind of like news people all be demonized. Whereas here... They're kind of seen as really good people. Yeah, they weren't demonized at all. I mean, they weren't bad or reporting things wrong. They were actually just good people just, you know, doing their job and trying to help Gadath and and Kirk like piled around with the one woman that was a reporter or uh, and was also like had her own show. Uh, I also thought it was interesting when he was being interviewed in a studio uh, that uh, I think there was like maybe one floor manager. There was one person, one other person in the room, which I think is funny again in 91 because that shows a studio of robotic cameras and which right. we have today. And, but at this time I had just graduated from uh, Penn state studying in broadcasting. So I was, and had just worked at a TV station briefly and worked cameras. And, mm-hmm. uh, and now I, at 
a network, uh, the Weather Channel, I'll mention it here, but I'm at the Weather Channel and it's like I walk in the studio and yeah, there's just the people at the desk and maybe one other person around. And it seems really odd because I'm used to the idea of people being. So I thought that was kind of fun. That was thinking ahead of how things were going. So I appreciated that. But yeah, the whole news organization, I didn't even think about just being one. I was just thinking that was the one they were focused on, but it did portray it as if there was just this one news organization, <laughs> you know? So, um, but I mean, I thought it was somewhat interesting. Um, I, I, I don't know. I just felt like they were just there to help the story move along and, and just help Kirk mm-hmm. and Riley get to where they need to get to. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. Uh, you know, uh, I, I, and I agree with you. I do feel like, uh, this is, it, it just stood out to me. I think the strange part was just the fact that there just seemed to be one. Uh, it was like the Federation news service, basically almost, uh, you know, um, and that was all that exists. And it was like, wow, this is something that, um, I don't think honestly anybody had any idea that news would go the way that it did you know back in 91 where there were you know what three main networks and yeah. that was pretty much it still yep. except for CNN and and nobody watched CNN because it like you had to have cable you know so um that that, that was just fascinating to me so i guess uh, you know all in all bruce was there anything else you thought of about this book when you were reading through it that we, we missed or that you, you felt like we should bring up before we get to the ratings? I think the only thing I would mention is the kids again. I mean, we mm-hmm. focus so much on the kids in the first half of the book. By the way, I like the second half of the book a little better than the first because it was like things were really happening. It just seemed to be bland in the beginning. There's some interesting things. But it just didn't really feel like it was really going anywhere. And there was this all this focus on the kids. And then when we get to the big action and all the things that are happening, the kids are kidnapped and then they're saved. And I'm like, was right. all that in there to me for me to get attached to these characters? So I'm really worried about them because that didn't work. You could have just said right. there were kids in the classroom and then some of them got kidnapped and be like, oh, no, I'm worried about the kids. I didn't connect with these kids, so that just did not mm-hmm. work for me. Yeah, I I agree with you 100%. I do think that it is with the kids that, that I had the most issue in the sense of, like you said, I know what they're trying to do, but I'm not kind of getting there. I'm connecting more on the thematic elements we're going with, with you know, uh, about prejudice and everything, but trying to get more invested in the kids themselves that's not really happening. So I, I guess I am really fascinated then about what you would rate a flag full of stars. Well, the first time I read this book, as I mentioned, is when it came out. I looked in here. I do have the first printing of it, the very first edition of it. And I remembered about it that I didn't care for it back then. So I was really interested to read it now. And I probably feel about the same way now that I did then. It's interesting to me, though, because I was I was really only a year into reading Star Trek books and really hadn't been as big of a Star Trek fan as I am now. And I have much more knowledge and have seen so much more Star Trek. So I didn't know if this would hit me any differently. And maybe... 
maybe it hits me in a different way because I understand um, the universe a little more, but it still doesn't really work for me. It doesn't help that it is between the original series and the motion picture where Kirk is just planet side on Earth, that he's not really in space. We don't have him on the starship. We don't have Spock and McCoy. We don't have the crew. So it doesn't really, in a lot of ways, feel like a typical Star Trek novel. It doesn't take place in all those settings that we're used to. But I did like what we explored with the Klingon teacher and the messaging there that went with, you know, prejudice against him because just because he's Klingon. Um, I, I, I kind of like that they've expanded more about his relationship with Sienna, even though we didn't really see much of it, but I just like to know where he's placed in this and Nagora's plan and like manipulating Kirk into this. So that was a bit interesting to me. Um, and then, like I said, it started to pick up in speed and action towards the last half of the book. So, I mean, it was okay. It's not a real long novel. So it feels like one of those episodes you'd watch and go, eh, you could probably skip that one. It wasn't bad, but you don't necessarily need to watch it. So that's how, that's how it feels to me. So out of all that, I would say that I would give this book, uh, I would say that I've got lost on a starship four out of 10 times. <laughs> oh, I love it. That's funny. I, it, it, this book is so strange because I really love the thematic elements, but the the entire book as a whole, if I'm honest, probably doesn't work. You know, um, it's so, but at the same time, there's some stuff here that really did sit with me well. And so I'm right there with you. So I guess I would probably give this 2.75 out of five saucer sections because there's just enough there that I, I really kind of connected with thematically and there was some really interesting stuff here and and like you said this is not a typical star trek book and so it really allowed us to explore completely different different areas right and and in some ways um some of the stuff that we don't really see explored till picard where it's like what the federation is actually like for people who live in it you know and and this book is kind of doing that it's exploring what life is like and what what people are like in the federation and, and to me that was kind of fascinating and even though it doesn't all work for me it still was better just a teensy bit better than average right and and so yeah I, this was and i definitely i think enjoyed it much more than uh the lost years because one i feel like brad ferguson competently wrote this book in the sense that it's it flows really well the prose i liked um and the story i didn't have as many just problems with in general as i did with the the lost years too uh and so i think because of my experience with the lost years it helps my enjoyment of this book more <laughs> so that's a good thing there you go so yeah 2.75 out of 5 enterprise saucers yeah i'd like to edit my rating because it's not really what i meant uh i said four out of ten but i was kind of stumbling it would it's more of a five out of ten because okay yeah i feel like it's right in the middle for me okay yeah that's great 
so it's going to be interesting when we get to the next Lost Years novel, because the first two, we just haven't been feeling it, right? So uh, it's going to be interesting what happens on the next one. Yeah, no, I know. I'm right there with you. I, I think the thing that about this whole, like, I would say era right now of literary tracks is that we've kind of been in a little bit of a funk, which with our, our reviews of books and it's, you know, we don't want to be, but, you know, we're always here to be honest about our opinions of, about what works and what doesn't work. And, you know, sometimes it probably doesn't help that Bruce and I have read, you know, a hundred Star Trek books uh, in our life, you know. And so, but I, this one was better. So I definitely hope Trader Winds continues that trend upwards. And hey, who knows? We could be at three, 3.5 stars. Uh, who knows? So maybe four. Yeah, maybe, but I don't think so. <laughs> we'll see. I don't remember. I just remember. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> well, uh, Bruce, if, if people do, though, want to catch up with you and see what else you've got going on or maybe talk about this Star Trek book or others, where can people find you? I'm on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex. I'm on Instagram as Admiral Rex. I'm also on the Positively Trek podcast with Dan Gunther. And uh, so you can find that wherever you find your podcast. And we do books there too, and comics and episodes and everything else. And then I also occasionally on the Star Wars Report podcast, uh, Star Trek wise, I also was recently on an episode of The Expanse, focusing on an episode of the of of star trek enterprise rajin that episode from season three so i was a guest on that and i was also a guest if you like star wars on star wars bookworms talking about the high republic comic series issues one through five awesome man uh well you could find me all over social media under matt rushing zero two of course i'm here on the network doing the 602 club which is our whole other side of the network where we're talking about all the things outside of star trek that we love fandom wise of course in that same feed you'll find snyder cuts where john mills and i have walked through every single thing that Zack snyder's directed as he just had army of the dead come out you can also find me here on the network as well doing The Orb with Chris Jones as we start talk about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. And then, of course, I'm over on the Nerd Party Network doing aggressive negotiations with John Mills as we talk about Star Wars. And then I finished over there, but you could still find it, of course, Owl Post with Dre Kaufman where we talk about each and every chapter of the Harry Potter series. But you know what? Thank you so much for joining us here. And until next time... Live long and read on. You call that light reading? To each his own, number one.